What is your price for her? With respect, how can I price the beauty of this slave when I look upon the magnificence of your highness, whose beauty would make the brightest star seem dull by comparison? <laughs> Lars Quell, you flattered me. No, your majesty. However... <laughs> Lars, stop it! Stop it! You are a bold one, aren't you? It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, Anakin, Ahsoka, Rex, and Obi-Wan travel to the slaver kingdom of Zykeria in search of the missing Tegrutans of Kiros. But our heroes are instead captured and forced into servitude and suffering by the devious Queen Mirage. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy, Bucho. I'm a Clone Wars rookie, and I'm on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship, a Clone Wars veteran on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars. And he is the Obi-Wan to my Ahsoka. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. And we are going to talk about the 78th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology written by Henry Gilroy and Stephen Mouching and directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. It's season 4, episode 12, Slaves of the Republic. So, Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about Slaves of the Republic before you rewatched it again this week? Yeah, this one I have to say, it was another one where I wasn't exactly clear on what was going on, but... I saw a screenshot that made me immediately remember it, and it's that Pitakarkoon callback. <laughs> There's a lot of Return of the Jedi callbacks in this episode, so so yeah, I was I was excited to see this one again. But yeah, I mean this one's uh, this one's rough a little bit. I mean it's pretty pretty violent. Yeah, and emotionally rough as well because as we know from the previous episode, Anakin hates almost nothing in the world more than slavery and he and his best pals you know ahsoka and obi-wan by the end of the episode they are slaves so i mean i was talking in the last episode that it was nice to have the sort of golden world of keros after the oppressive kind of atmosphere of umbara but emotionally this episode has a sense of oppression to it that you know it's not letting us off the hook just because umbara is done yeah and i really really enjoyed the way that zygeria looks because it has a very almost uh, Egyptian. Yeah. I just really liked it. It, it, it just reminded me of, of so, some of the uh, you know Ben Hur right or uh, you know movies like that where it just kind of had that look that I just really really I I just appreciated it. Yeah, I love it. It's so I mean you know from we're both massive uh, Indiana Jones fans and Kadavo seems modeled on various kind of North African Islamic cities maybe Morocco or Egypt and I don't know about you Robbie but I half expected someone to break out into a stirring rendition of Arabian Nights at some point but while the episode's oppressive we do get these moments of liberty and in fact there are a lot of moments where I laughed out loud here and one of them of course we spoke about it in the last episode it's back in full effect here Ahsoka's eye roll game when Anakin starts telling Queen Mirage that her beauty would make the bright <laughs> Brightest star seemed dull by comparison. And then, of course, Anakin starts whispering sweet nothings in her ear at the end. And that was just, I mean, it was a very familiar type of scene. It's almost, you know, I mean, use the word trope sometimes for, for things that we've seen before and several things. And this is the Clone Wars take on it. And, you know, it worked for me. I just thought it was a ton of fun, especially since Anakin had set the whole thing up by big upping his own ability to charm the ladies. 
Oh yeah, and it was very different than the previous one though. This one ha- almost had a like a like oh boy, right. you know, just kind of look yeah. to it. I just loved it. I loved it. And uh, one of the things about that whole scene though too is that I was constantly pausing it to go, wait a minute, who's that? Wait, who is it? What is this? Like I was looking at Br- Bruno Denturi as like he was like this important character. I was like, did I miss something? And then I'm like, oh, he just made that up, or he didn't make it up, but he. I don't know. It was just like, it's not important to the story. Why am I wasting time on this? It's just a character created for this episode that they reference and then that's it. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking, I was thinking I missed something. Yeah, same here. Like, did I, did I tune out or something? Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. But, um, but I did like the, uh, (laughs) like Anakin's really, really turning up the charm (laughs) on the queen here. Yeah. I really enjoyed the little back and forth stuff. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And even before we meet, Queen Mirage, I don't know if you found this, but I felt like we knew there was going to be something saucy about Anakin's relationship with her, just because if you've watched enough old sci-fi and, you know, fantasy, there's that trope of our handsome warrior hero encountering a beautiful but, you know, somewhat villainous queen. And the first thing I actually thought of was the pilot episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century when Captain Buck Rogers encounters and is wooed by the beautiful and ravishing Princess Adala of the Draconians. Did you ever, you watched Buck Rogers, Robbie? Do you remember that episode? I watched it when I was like three and I don't remember it at all. I mean, the only thing I remember is the, you know, beady, beady, beady. Right. You know, that's all I remember. Tweaky. Yeah, no, that episode always stuck with me. And I think it might even be, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this because this is, uh, might, you might even be able to find it, let's just say, on a certain very popular video platform if, for, if anyone wants to see it. I don't know. I, I think I rewatched some of it a couple of years ago on that and maybe it's still there. This I'll just say that, but, but yeah, Queen Mirage is quite taken with Anakin's sweet nuts, with Anakin's sweet nothings. But she also has a way with words herself, and we find that out when she speaks to the masses as Obi-Wan is brought into the square. And the main thrust of her spiel is that the Jedi should not be feared by potential slave owners because they have already been made slaves of the Republic. And I thought this was not just a very interesting line and a certain point of view that we hadn't come across before, but also made me wonder just how much is it true? No, I am right there with you. I mean, even that's the title of the the episode, right? So it's like, it almost makes you think about being a slave to being in a war, you know, that you're a slave of the old, the war. And all the way back to Hidden Enemy, that was a theme that we met very early on, and at least in the chronological run, because that was what Slick was saying. Yeah, and you start to think about, you know, the Jedi's place in all this and us knowing what we know about how this all turns out. In a way, it's all true, you know, because, I mean, Palpatine's pulling the strings here. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting to have that kind of just flat out said. I mean, it's all, it, it reminds me of, uh, of Dooku just basically laying out the whole plan to Obi-Wan in episode two. You know, he's basically right. saying, yeah, the Senate's in control of a uh, Sith Lord. And I mean, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of interesting yeah and there's a thing that is often said about the sith which is that they do not lie and that it is actually the jedis i mean you know from a certain point of view all that stuff sometimes the jedis are the devious ones i mean often the jedis are the devious ones and cream even comes up with a similar line near the end of this episode when she says she's been nothing but honest and it was anakin who came in being devious so that tie-in was something that yeah i thought of too I mean, this episode in a lot of ways is a lot more adult 
in nature and, and as far as like the themes of it right then uh even some of the other ones but i mean violence aside i mean these are some heavy things to think about you know and it makes you really start to wonder you know about well exactly who is pulling the strings you know what i mean it's you know even in a real life kind of situation you know you start to look at maybe examine your own life in a, in a different way well one of the things that Anakin has to think about in this episode is whether or not he should force grab this Twi'lek girl who jumps from the parapet. Or, am I thinking of this right, or was it just that she was too fast and he couldn't catch her? I mean, that moment was played just ambiguously enough that I couldn't quite tell whether Anakin made a choice to let her fall so that the cover wouldn't be blown, or whether she was just too fast. And in that moment, Anakin wasn't thinking fast enough because, you know, going all the way back to, I think the first time we brought it up was maybe Blue Shadow Virus, where Anakin, when his passion is riled up, he maybe doesn't see the options he has to force grab things. I mean, how did that scene play to you, Robbie? I think it played just too fast to me. I mean, it could have been either one of those things. I mean, you could also say that Ahsoka could have done something. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a lot of ways to think about it, but I think that the the way that it played for me is that it was just too fast and that she made that decision so quickly because she was, you know, as miserable as she was, which is, you know, it's very sad. And again, this isn't a kid's show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just amazing how far they're willing to go in this show. Some of these themes are just, they're very heavy. Well, speaking of heavy, Robbie, Rex has just been through something heavy in Anabara, and we didn't really talk about in the last episode how he's back on board and back at Anakin's side. And in this episode, in Slaves of the Republic, Rex is just part of the gang on this one. He's not leading a squad. He's riding shotgun as the lone clone trooper with the Jedis. And I guess we can only guess at the conversations he's had with Anakin since Anabara. And maybe what we can also only guess at is what Obi-Wan was thinking when Rex finds Governor Rushdie. And Obi-Wan jumps down to get him. And I'm expecting we're about to see a stealth mission to sneak the governor out to safety. You know, that seems like the Obi-Wan thing to do. But Obi-Wan just decides to go full noise and broad daylight and starts <laughs> throwing guards around. And maybe it's just me, but I felt like this was super out of character for Obi-Wan. It's so, it's so much more of a rash Anakin-type move. And it proves to have been a terrible, terrible miscalculation on Obi-Wan's part because they don't get far at all before they get nabbed. But this was... Maybe the one moment in the episode when I really was scratching my head at the choices that were being made in terms of the storytelling. How did that play to you, Robbie? It's definitely that way. I mean, it feels like uh, a plot thing. Like, well, we need him to be captured, so he's going to be he's going to make this decision to be captured, basically. Yeah, it doesn't feel organic. And it's just like, what? It just seems so clumsy. Yeah, it's not the most elegant piece of storytelling in the show, even though. I really did enjoy the design of the, is it the Brazax? Is that the, how you say it? The salamander-ish yeah. with the wings. I just, yep. for some reason, I've always been a big fan of salamanders and lizards. Sure. I've always just been a lizard guy. I've always liked them. There's something almost, uh, I don't even know what you call it. Like, I, I love those lizards so much that I almost got really excited when I saw them. I was like, man, what a cool design. I really like those. Yeah, those are sweet, and it was fun to see Obi-Wan riding a lizard just as he does, you know, coming up to my favorite scene in the whole prequel trilogy, Robbie, that, you know, I've brought up probably too many times already when, of course, Obi-Wan fights Grievous. And speaking of fights, Robbie, that, you know, you brought it up earlier, the pit of Carcoon, when the Jedis give Atui their lightsabers to look after, of course, we're immediately put in mind of Return of the Jedi, but little did I know at that point that later there would even be the old salute signal to R2 to eject those laser swords at exactly the right moment 
And you know, we've talked before about how the Clone Wars loves to reference the films and how much fun it always is. And for me, this was just as much fun as they wanted it to be. Does that make sense? Uh, for sure. <laughs> it worked. It, Let's just say that. It worked for me. It super worked. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, just little, little small little callbacks too that just, you know, above the, the salute and then the shooting, the lightsabers and all that stuff. It's the little the little looks and the nods. Yeah, right. I love that. You know, I mean, it's just, it definitely calls all that back and it doesn't work at all. They're all <laughs> pretty well captured almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, poor Rex. He, he, I mean, Rex gets captured so fast. I know. It was just... But, you know, they all do, really. It seemed very quick to me. It seemed like, uh, well, they've got these electrified whips. Seems like lightsabers would have taken care of those, no problem, but... Numbers. It's hard to deal with numbers, especially when they've got... I mean, one of the things that is... Uh, if we counted the number of episodes that have some kind of electrocution in it, I mean... Yeah. I just start to think that Dave Filoni maybe has a bit of a fetish for yeah. execution, but there are so many. I mean, even the underwater, they had the electric eels, you know, and the mm-hmm. Mon Calamari arc. There's just a constant thing in the show where people are getting electrocuted somehow, and it happens again in this episode. But I sort of get what you're saying, that they don't put up a whole lot of a fight. Yeah. I mean, like Ahsoka, I can almost see something like that happening. Right. Also gets electrocuted, right? right. It's all electrocution. Right. But Poor Ahsoka. the rest of them, I'm just kind of like... What? I mean, that Rex, I get too, you know, but I don't know. You're swinging a plasma blade around in a in a circle. I mean, it seems like you would uh, be able to see these whips coming. But hey, we got a plot, like I said, and we're getting to the ending. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's kind of how it felt. Yeah, to me, that felt less obligatory than Obi-Wan, you know, going Anakin, let's say, just because when Obi-Wan's brought into the arena, they definitely show us that he is beat up he's hunched over he looks like he's had a a heck of a time you know they've been working him over down there in the dungeons we see everyone getting worked over you know so he is nowhere near at 100 percent on his health bar when that fight starts and you know anakin just gets that's just numbers you know in the end at the end of the day and these guys are like we found out in the previous episode these guys do know their way around a fight so I didn't, yeah, I did, that part didn't feel particularly, you know, obligatory or inorganic for me. That sort of work that they would get caught again so quick. But, you know, I guess maybe not so much for you. I mean, it didn't, like you said, I, I, I can agree with you that it didn't feel as obligatory as Obi-Wan and Governor Rashti getting captured. But I felt like this was going to be, oh, well, this is going to be the end of the episode. They're going to get out of this. Right. But no, I mean, it, it was, and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realize this was going to be a three-episode arc. I mean, that's really kind of how it went for me. And interestingly, after they get caught, Queen Mirage, I mean, we see in the battle, right, Queen Mirage is admiring, <laughs> even as Hannikin has betrayed her and has turned on her, she's up there saying, oh, such determination, oh my. You know, she is so taken with Anakin. Yeah. And, you know, she has become a pretty big fan of Anakin pretty fast. And even when he turns on her, he still turns her on. She doesn't bat an eyelid at his betrayal. She still wants Sky Guy by her side. She just can't get enough of General Skywalker, Robbie, even after he's been such a naughty boy. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like... uh even after the force choke when he wakes up yeah. this lady is a little bit of a glutton for a punishment herself you know what i mean sure it's weird sure she sort of is but and this is also something that you know is there's that old pulp flash gordony sci-fi sort of trope you know the queen that she knows she's less powerful than the hero but she has that power over him and you know at the end that is the same kind of trick that the warden is playing on obi-wan where he shows obi-wan that if he steps out of line it's not going to be him who suffers because you know he knows that the jedi are tough nuts to crack and 
that's what Queen Mirage is doing to Anakin too. She's right. showing Anakin, hey, you, you misbehave. You know, your friends are gone. So, you know, these slavers, they are kind of masters at the psychological side of the game. It makes them feel so much more formidable. And it is part of what lends the episode this oppressive air that we talked about earlier. Yeah, but I really, that's one of those things that I really like. In a way, you can look at it as sort of like the same sort of stuff in Superman stories that they go through. Right. Where it's not about what they can do to Superman, it's what they can do to Superman's friends. Yeah, right. Or the people that he loves, which always puts it in a strange sort of, I don't know, it's a different way of, of being a villain. And... We really hadn't seen a whole lot of that in Clone Wars, so I really appreciated seeing that. It sort of takes you off of your game, you know, when you have to start thinking about defeating a different sort of villain that doesn't mind hurting others. Yeah, because we've seen hostages before in the Clone Wars. I mean, there's even an episode called Hostage Crisis, but we haven't seen them used quite this way, you know, to hold over and actually force our our heroes, you know, our beloved Jedis into servitude. And another thing we haven't seen before, and this is sort of skipping back in the episode a little bit, is Ahsoka trying to bring her acting skills out. You know, when we know that, I mean, when Anakin presents Ahsoka as his slave and she yells, unhand me, brigand. (laughs) And for all of her many, many talents and charms, you know, we love Ahsoka so much. She's just not much of an actress. And she even gets like this wince from Anakin and then she kind of winces herself. And I just thought that was a beautifully played moment of liberty from the animators and from Ashley Eckstein. And, you know, just another moment of liberty and, and a lot of fun in this episode. Yeah, I, that is one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode is because it's, and it's something that I, I didn't take note of, but it's something that I remember thinking was that, wow, look at the facial animations. They've come so far. Yeah. What they've been able to do in this series, I mean, every single season steps it up in some ways. And I, I really, really, really enjoy that. Well, speaking of things you enjoyed in this episode, Robin, you just mentioned that you had been thinking about some favorite scenes and shots of the episode. What was your favorite shot of Slaves of the Republic? Well, I've got a few, but I have to give my favorite single moment was Anakin's salute. (laughs) Nice one. It's my favorite single moment, but I'll let you say yours and then I'll mention the other one that I've got in mind here. Yeah, I liked a lot of those comedic, you know, the expressions and what have you, and I thought about choosing those, but I've ended up taking kind of a... Uh, an aesthetic choice rather than a shot of yeah, I guess you know significance character significance there's just this very beautiful simple very low angled shot as they're walking through the city near the start of the episode and our heroes are sort of in the mid ground mm-hmm. mid shot and they're walking straight toward us and in the foreground we see a bunch of green legs you know with sandals and we can assume at that point from what we've already seen that they're Twi'lek legs and they're trekking across the screen from left to right as our heroes continue to walk toward us and that's when that poor Twi'lek dude falls into the frame and hits the dirt and you know which obviously leads to Ahsoka almost blowing their cover but just the simple framing and the way that the camera was still and letting us see and behind you know behind the legs and around our heroes you know we see details of the city which you know we mentioned it at the start is such an evocative compelling you know i mean there's a reason that these sort of arabian you know north african cities are middle eastern cities are used so much in cinema there's just something so beautiful about almost the chaos that they also have in them you know and and so you know that's why that's my shot of the episode but so so what have you got on this list of your other uh, favorite shots of the episode robbie well my other uh there's a couple of other ones of course the overacting 
on uh, Ahsoka's part is definitely one of my favorites. The other one that I'm thinking of is the one where I don't know what the guard is. I think he's like the main, the palace guard or whatever. And he is telling, basically goading Ahsoka saying, you know, you've been promised to me once Anakin is, you know, tamed. And without even, I mean, she's all, she's all sitting there very serenely. And then she just lifts a hand and just tips him over the edge a little bit. You know, I just, for some reason, I loved it. I just loved that simple like she's you think oh she's not letting this get in she's not letting this get to her and then she just shows him that you know she's definitely got some power left in her too and i loved it and i love ahsoka so yeah that's my second one but i guess because i've mentioned before that you know return of the jedi that whole scene when luke catches that lightsaber it's probably my single favorite shot in all of star wars i love that shot so much it's awesome i had to give the salute the nod on this one that's fair, Robbie. Yeah, I love that scene too. And so before we bring this one for a landing, we need to sum up and give our ratings. So after your third ever watch of Slaves of the Republic, how did you like it and where does Slaves of the Republic sit on that four-star Robbie scale? I'm going to give this one a three as well. Even though, as I've said, I'm not exactly convinced that this is 100% necessary. If you're trying to get through the Clone Wars and, and try to absorb all this information, I'm not sure if this is 100% necessary, but I still, I really enjoyed this episode. It was a lot of fun, and it was almost like watching it for the first time, as I've mentioned before. Yeah, I was toying with giving this episode a 9, but the way that they handle Obi-Wan's decision to, you know, go... <laughs> <laughs> to pop his head up above the the parapet like he did and you know i mean in quotes you know basically go full noise when a stealth exit would have made so much more sense i put it there you know i knocked it down to an eight but you know even an eight that's this is still a really good episode there is really a kind of expert balance between the fun and funny moments and the very oppressive you know kind of emotionally heavy moments it's just I found it was, you know, it's really well handled by Brian Kalen O'Connell and then by Henry Gilroy and Stephen Melchin, the writers. And so, yeah, like I said, that's an eight. What are we going to say? Eight electro whips out of ten? I don't know. That's not a nice thing to think about, but that's <laughs> what I'm going to go with, Robbie. But that's mission accomplished for season four, episode 12, Slaves of the Republic. So, Robbie, the troops out there want to tell us how much they loved Slaves of the Republic or didn't love Slaves of the Republic. Uh, how can they reach us? Well, we are Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 79th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology Season 4, Episode 13, Escape from Cadavo. So we're getting up there, Robbie 79. I never thought this day would come. And when we get to 80, we're two-thirds of the way through the series. And man, what a journey it's already been. So until next time, when we take our next step on that journey, this is your old buddy Bucho, alongside your trusty pal Robbie, and we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Robbie at gmail.com. May the Force be with you.